Hello, this is Lisa Mayer, the Maine Rebbitson. Welcome to episode three of the Poo 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 podcast. Hi, it's another snowy day in Maine. Can't do anything. But it's a perfect time to remember when I had some real power. Armed and unready. The other day, my daughter Charlie came home from seventh grade all aglow. I beat every kid in my class in an arm wrestle, even the boys. I was quelling. I was thrilled. She described in great detail how during social studies class, during class, where the heck is the teacher, one girl challenged her and that led to another and to another until the boys crowded around and she took them on too. Seventh grade was also my year. At the yeshiva of Central Queens in New York, we wrestled during recess right before Bible class, just like our forefather Jacob wrestled with the angel. I was Armageddon. I didn't tell Charlie, but my reign of strength lasted only one year. By eighth grade, I was crying to my father that the boys were starting to beat me. He tried to explain basic biology, but I refused to accept that the puny, farty boys in my class had any evolutionary advantage. It took a few more weeks, but when the puniest, fartiest boy beat me, I switched to Jack's at recess. I still opened bottles of no-cal soda for my mother, and my friends still relied on me to open their brand new jars of Noxzema at sleepovers, but I pretty much kept my muscles unflexed. And then, when I was 22, newly married and working in a fancy advertising agency, my friend Max from the art department invited me to a party. We schlepped up to New Rochelle in Westchester, New York, from our 600-square-foot apartment in Forest Hills, Queens, in our blue Buick LeSabre. Max was only a couple years older than me. This was his parents' house, and they were out of town. The joint was jumping, as they say, with smoking and drinking and dancing and everything else that goes on when your parents are out of town. I remember bottles of white wine. I wasn't a drinker at all. I didn't grow up with drinkers. My father had the same bottle of Chivas Regal for 20 years, and the only wine I ever had it was at Kiddish on Friday nights. Extra Sweet Tokay or Extra Heavy Malaga by Manischewitz. I myself wasn't so heavy back then, and I guess I didn't eat much at the party, but I did drink what my new husband informed me was almost two bottles of wine. It was at some point during this uncharacteristic episode of Bacchanalia that I was introduced to a young woman with spiky blonde hair whose boyfriend boasted that she was a trainer at the Vertical Club. The Vertical Club was the gym back in those days when gyms were just starting to be a thing, a place to try this new craze called aerobics. This was the late 80s. Power suits, shoulder pads, big hair, Ronald Reagan, the English band Squeeze blasting through the headphones on your Sony Walkman on the subway ride home. You know, after an exciting day of trickle-down economics at the office. I looked at Miss Spiky Blonde. The Vertical Club, eh? 
In my mind, I was slurring the words. She nodded. You wanna arm wrestle? I must have said that out loud, because the next thing I remember is a crowd forming around Max's parents' dining room table. Girl, fight! Girl, fight! Girl, fight! In my mind, I'm imagining my new husband rolling his eyes. Miss Spiky Blonde sat down across the table and we locked hands. And then, boom, she was down. I was exultant. I remember the whooping all around us. I looked at her. She was shocked, shocked. I smiled. You want a rematch? She did. Boom! And she was down again. This time there was even more whooping. I think people had placed bets. On my way home, I was absolutely impossible. Did you see that? My husband had. Did you know that she was a trainer at the Vertical Club? My husband did. The Vertical Club! Yes, yes, Lisa, the Vertical Club. Foom! I yelled joyfully. Foom! I was going to call my father as soon as I got home, but my husband talked me out of it. It's really late, he said. I was still exultant. I lay in glee on our bed in my sleep t-shirt, and suddenly the room went fuzzy like the HBO logo, black and white and zzzz. I barely made it to our gray-tiled bathroom before I threw up. Vomit everywhere, on my t-shirt, on my legs, in my hair. You know how newlyweds have that honeymoon period even after the honeymoon? Where the toilet seat is always replaced in the sit-down position? You don't let him see the pantyhose hanging to dry over the shower curtain or the Jolene bleach in the medicine cabinet and you keep your smells to yourself? That was the end of our honeymoon. He cleaned me up with a grossed-out set of his lips and made me a cup of tea while muttering how white wine is deceptive. Over the next twenty or so years, I learned to hold my liquor. I held my own at work at the advertising agencies, keeping my inebriated clients' leers and hands to themselves, and, on a couple of occasions, my bosses. But liquor was only half of it. What I still had to learn was harder. Which brings me to the Fire and Water Cafe in Northampton, Massachusetts. It was very early on in my new and musical life with Surly, and he and I were doing a concert there. There were two other musicians with us, one of them a singer, a beautiful young woman, a few years younger than I was. After we played some music, Surly on the clarinet, me on the violin, our friend Brian on the trombone, she came out to sing in Yiddish. She opened her mouth and everything else disappeared, including me. She sang, she sashayed, she flirted, she emoted, she giggled, she growled. When she stepped off the stage and into the crowd, I didn't think they would let her go. The audience Quote, just wanted to take a bite out of her, the drooling music critic wrote in the forward. And on the way home, 
I was absolutely impossible. If I'm not the Yiddish singer, I will die, I said to Sruli. But you don't even know Yiddish, Sruli said. Watch me, I said. Foom, foom. Three days later, I started lessons with a teacher who grew up with the great Yiddish theater composer Shalom Sekunda. And Sruli and I both started with a vocal coach who works with metropolitan opera stars. Foom, foom. Soon, Sruli and I were playing eight shows a week for the Folkspina Yiddish Theater in New York City. The play was called A Klezmer's Tale, and it was about a poor musician who wins the lottery, but, since it's a Yiddish play, loses the girl. We played in the orchestra pit, and between shows, I schmoozed up the great Yiddish divas in their dressing rooms, 90-year-old actresses Mina Bern and Shifra Lehrer. I could only quote Yiddish lines from the play, but they were patient and encouraging. May their memories be for a blessing. And each summer, Sruli and I ran the children's program at Klez Canada, where we would hang with Yiddish scholars and musicians, a week of total Yiddish immersion. Foom! And all this before Duolingo. And so I learned Yiddish, to speak Yiddish, to sing Yiddish songs, and Sruli, my loving clarinetist, Learn to play the accordion to accompany me. What choice did he have? Foom! Foom! <clears throat> At our concerts when I sang, I sashayed, I emoted, I giggled, I growled, I wore feather boas. It was heaven on earth for me, really. It still is. My favorite review was from the Jerusalem Post after a big concert in Jerusalem. Maybe no one wanted a bite out of me, but apparently I have a 500-megawatt smile, and Sruli and I were, quote, the best mixture of the sacred and profane. I, of course, was the profane. A year or so after that, I found out that the beautiful Yiddish singer from Northampton had died of breast cancer. We had lost touch over the years, but I was horribly shaken. It was a tragedy. She left young children, and she had been the new spiritual leader of a small congregation. The newspaper said she was mourned and beloved. May her memory be for a blessing. I felt horribly guilty, too. Guilty about my jealousy and guilty about losing touch with her. We had never done another concert together. I guess my ego didn't leave enough room on stage for two Yiddish singers. Foom on me. Foom on me forever. Not that long ago, Sruli asked me to lead Sabbath morning prayers at our synagogue. My favorite prayer is El Adon, a liturgical poem written, the scholars debate, either in the Middle Ages or even earlier in the second century. I've sung it hundreds of times. But since that Saturday morning, I've paid new attention to the ancient words. El Adon al-Kol ha-ma'asim, Praised is the creator of celestial beings, the luminaries, the sun and moon. They have been endowed with energy and power to dominate within their sphere of influence of the universe. When I play my violin for the prayer, I spin the notes around and around. I imagine deep space, planets orbiting with their moons, distant galaxies whirling and spiraling. I do like to dominate within my sphere of the universe. Smechim b'tzetam, v'sasim b'voam, 
the sun and the moon, exalting in setting, rejoicing in rising. Exalting in setting? Exalting in setting? Is that what getting older is? Exalting in setting? Not dominating? Watching the other luminaries shine? It's true, over the years, and especially lately, I felt that thing, that bellicose, competitive, strife-seeking, rival-ready thing, start to wane, to weaken. At my new school, I try to be encouraging and supportive to the younger women in the administration who yearn to be principals. I let the younger teachers talk at all the meetings, and after school, I teach other people how to sing. I teach violin. I write plays for other people and coach drama. I give writing workshops. Okay, watching beautiful young women singers still gives me a pang, but at least it's a lowercase p. I credit Sruli, who is naturally giving, and I blame the forced patience we've all had to swallow during this awful pandemic. But I find it much easier to be generous now. It's the first urge that seems to come up. It sure took me long enough. I look at the young girls in my life, my beautiful stepdaughter with her nice new job and nice new boyfriend, my 12-year-old daughter who is soon to be bat mitzvahed, and the lovely young woman who is marrying my son. I'm getting a daughter-in-law who, while studying to be a rabbi herself, is also studying Yiddish, a fargenigin. I think about how I want everything for them, how I want to give everything I have to them. The older I get, the more I feel like those dowager duchesses in the Barbara Cartland romances I read under my desk during Hebrew class at the Yeshiva High School of Queens. When the dancing started at those Regency balls back in England, those old duchesses would move their chairs backwards to the wall, away from the center, back into the distant orbits. Let the young royals shine. And I haven't arm wrestled in years. Exalting and setting, exalting and setting, letting go the dominance. Maybe this old duchess is finally learning that real strength means sometimes letting the other girl win.